Okay, well, good morning, everyone. Glad you guys are here. I'm glad there's at least one person here sporting the proper shirt, celebrating the future victory of the Kansas City Chiefs. Okay, there we go. Hey, I'm going to ask you guys um, to help me this morning, like I've asked the first two two services to help me out. If you wouldn't mind, when you're sitting out there during the, the message this morning, if you could keep from crossing your legs and putting your hands over your knee like this, because when I came in this morning, these chairs just reminded me of the one Bernie Sanders was sitting in. And so if I, if I see you sitting, it's just going to really throw me off. Okay, so if you don't mind, refrain from doing that for my own personal benefit up here. I, I literally did. I literally came as far. I'm like, man, these chairs look like that one Bernie's been sitting in all over creation. <laughs> oh, who would have ever thought that that would be such a thing? Uh, this morning, we're going to continue in the book of Colossians. And that leads us to this topic you see on the screen, bond servants and masters. So if you will, open your Bible, your Bible app to Colossians chapter 3. We're going to dive right in this morning and look at what Paul has to say here. And it starts off by saying this. It says, slaves, or some translations would use the term bondservants, obey your earthly masters in everything and do it not only when their eye is on you and to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for their wrongs, and there is no favoritism. And in the beginning of chapter 4, verse 1 here, it says, Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair, because you know that you also have a master who is in heaven. Let's pray real quick. Father, um, man, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your faithfulness to each of us in this room. Father, you continue just to give us far more than we truly need. And I just praise you for that. This morning, right now, Lord, I pray that as we look to your word, that we'd understand it, Father, that we would agree with it because it is your word and your truth, the truth. And Father, that we would just continue to grow in you. So Holy Spirit, I pray you would come and move and work in each of our hearts and lives like only you can. And just give us great clarity this morning in your truth. So we Give this time to you, Lord. Do with it as you please. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. Now, you might start off looking at these verses, and right off the bat you might be thinking, is Paul, is he actually endorsing slavery here? Is that what he's doing? Is he endorsing slavery? And the short answer to that is no. That's not what he's doing here. And I want you guys to be aware that when we read about slavery in the Bible, that there were actually different forms of slavery taking place, up to about four different kinds of slavery. And I know for, if you're like me and you're raised here in the United States and you hear this word slavery or bond servant, something of that nature, if you're like me, 
your mind automatically goes to the slavery that took place in the United States and what that looked like. Um, that, that's just where my mind goes. However, that's not always the type and kind of slavery that scripture is talking about when it addresses it in different parts. Um, Believe it or not, there are actually places um, in the Old Testament, for example, the Hebrews oftentimes would place themselves into slavery as a way to pay off a debt that they would owe to someone. And a lot of times what would happen is if they owed a debt to someone, they could enslave themselves to that person. That person would be their master and they would work off that debt. A lot of times for six years, after that six years, the person could go free free of debt, and it was actually a blessing for them and their family. So, I mean, that's one form. And so when, when we look through the scriptures and it talks about bondservants and slavery and stuff, we have to, to do our best to understand it in this day and time in the context that, that we're reading about it here. And I, I'll, I'll just take a quick time out before we go any further and let you guys know, like, we... We won't be able to get into all those different forms and every aspect of slavery all throughout scripture this morning. But what I want to do in my prayer is that we get a good overview, like a 30,000 foot, foot view, 30,000 foot view down. There we go. I can get the words out of this topic and, and what it looks like and what more importantly Paul is saying here in Colossians. Um, slavery was not a part of creation. And what I mean by that is that when God created everything in Genesis 1 and 2, what you see is a distinction between male and female, but you never see in there a distinction between slave or free. It's not until after sin enters the picture in the fall that we see slavery come into existence. You see, it wasn't part of God's original plan. It's actually a fruit or a result of sin in the fallen world that we see it come on to the scene. And if you fast forward throughout scripture, we know that one day there will be no more of that as well in heaven because sin is a, or because slavery is a fruit of sin. And in heaven, we know that there will be no more sin or pain, suffering, things of this nature. Therefore, we won't have any of this in heaven also. But what we do see is throughout scripture, there's biblical instruction concerning slavery to those people that found themselves as a slave and to those that were masters and had authority over slaves. But what it does not imply is a biblical overarching approval of slavery whatsoever. Here in our text, Paul is writing to slaves. And it's estimated, if you do some research, that at this time in the Roman Empire, almost half of the population would have been slaves. That's a lot of people in that time that would have been slaves, but almost half of them would have been in that situation. And these slaves honestly worked a whole variety of different jobs. Some of them actually had good jobs and were very important in, 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 in the view of their masters. Some of them were under the authority of some masters that were pure evil. You got the full gamut here. There were some masters that were actually believers that they would even attend church with their slaves together and they would worship God together. It kind of addresses that later. We'll talk about it. Um, but then there were some who were in just some horrible situations where they were treated as if they were less than human, as property, with no rights, no value, with no dignity whatsoever. You had this very, these different contrasts going on even in this time. They were almost seen as tools, to be, to be honest with you, in some ways. Not only did masters 
over their slaves, have authority in their lives. They also had the authority of life and death. They literally could put a slave to death for a variety of things or honestly not much of anything. They had that authority over them. And I just want to be clear before we get like a lot further into the, the message this morning. Slavery is wrong. It's a sin. It's evil. And we'll see more of that through scripture. It's in fact condemned throughout scripture. I, I don't want there to be any mistake of that this morning. It is wrong and completely should be condemned by followers of Jesus Christ. What's interesting to me is as, as I've thought about this this past week or so is a lot of slaves were seen as less than human. Like property, that they belonged to someone else and they had no rights and and no value and the interesting thing to me is there is still slavery in our world today don't don't get me wrong there is there's an immense amount of human trafficking and stuff that's just sickening but what what this reminded me of as I was looking into this was this is the same way unfortunately that a lot of people in our world and in our culture view the unborn children in the womb they view them as less than human with no rights and no value, that they can just be aborted. And it's in many ways the same way that a lot of evil masters viewed their slaves. And the same reason that we condemn slavery is the same reason that we believe that abortion is evil and a sin, because it lessens the meaning and the value of human life. When we talk about abortion here, it's not a political thing for us whatsoever. It's a biblical thing. It's a right or wrong thing because it looks at a human being made in the image of God as less than that very thing, human. And all views like that are absolutely wrong. And so Christianity, it comes on the scene and it began to bring about a lot of tension. And the main reason it brought about a lot of tension was because the message of Christ, the message of the word of God is one of equality. That everybody is equal in the eyes and the sight of God. And that was different for them. They saw themselves as superior, as better. If, and that just was the culture of the world. And in many ways, sometimes it is in our world today that we see somebody with a different color skin from a different background with different beliefs, different understandings of things, and we see ourselves as better or more valuable and important. And that was definitely what was going on here. But Christianity knows nothing of that. It knows that we're all equal in the eyes and sight of God. And in fact, this won't be on the screen. If you think back to Genesis chapter 1, it says in verse 27, it says, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. He created them. They're equal. If you remember back a few weeks when we were going through Colossians, when we were talking about husbands and wives, men are no better than women. Women are no better than men. We're all equal in the eyes of God. We have different roles and responsibilities sometimes within the covenant of marriage, just like there's different roles and responsibilities in the leadership of a church and in different situations. God's orchestrated it that way. But we're all equal in the eyes of God, and that's what was being preached. That's what was being taught, and it created a lot of tension. Even Paul in Colossians 3, if you back up just a little bit to verse 11, he said, Here there is no Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, or free, but Christ is all and in all. In Galatians chapter 3, verses 26 and 27, it says, So in Christ Jesus you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. And listen to verse 28. 
The same thing being said here. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. What this is saying is that it's not saying there's no gender. Don't misunderstand that. What it's saying is that we are all one. We are all equal in Christ. Whether you found yourself a Jew or a Gentile, you are equal in the eyes of God. Whether you are a male or a female, a slave or free, you are equal in the eyes of God. There's no superiority. There's no favoritism in that. So that's what it's going, or that's what it's explaining. And this preaching was very contrary to what was going on in the culture. And let me also share with you this. If you go throughout scripture and read all about slavery, you will see that the Bible does in fact condemn slavery. If you want to read on your own and do some studying in Exodus 21, it talks uh, about that a little bit. It talks about how even masters over slaves could be put to death for how they handled um, their authority over a slave. Because remember, a lot of people, they went into slavery willingly on their own accord because it was going to bless and help their family. And it wasn't a horrible thing. Even some of their masters were believers and treated them incredibly well. But sometimes some of those masters ended up treating them in some wicked, evil ways. And when that happened, there was great punishment for it. But this morning, I want to share with you from 1 Timothy chapter 1, and verse, verse 8 and 11, where it just shows that this is not God's plan. It's not okay. It says this. It says, we know that the law is good if one uses it properly. We also know that the law is made not for the righteous, but for lawbreakers and rebels, the ungodly and sinful, the unholy and irreligious, for those who kill their fathers or mothers, for murderers, for the sexually immoral, for those who practice homosexuality, listen to this, for slave traders and liars and perjurers, and for, who, or for whatever else, is contrary to sound doctrine that conforms to the gospel concerning the glory of the blessed God which he entrusted to me. And so what we see here is that there's this big list of things that are seen as rebellious, ungodly, sinful, and unholy. And in that list, we see slavery. We see slave trade. It's not okay. It's unholy. It's rebellious. It's ungodly and sinful, it says. And the truth is, if, if believers would have understood what it said in Exodus and here in 1 Timothy, if that would have been embraced by Christians in the 18th and 19th centuries, slavery would have never existed like it did in the South because it's impossible to know truly the word of God and believe that it's okay to have and treat slaves like we saw in our country. And unfortunately, there was many pastors and church members who used the word of God to manipulate people and justify their evil, sinful actions. But there's no way you can get to that if you look throughout the scriptures and what it is talking about. And here's the other thing. Like I mentioned earlier, guys, while, while I believe slavery in our country, especially here, has been widely abolished, I believe that, that slavery has taken on a new look and it's more rampant than we can even imagine in the form of human trafficking. I mean, especially throughout the world. If you do your research on human trafficking, it is sickening. Because millions are involved in this. And it is horrific. I mean, look, look into it if you want. But it is a horrific, enormous issue still going on in our world today. And as followers of Christ, we cannot just, we, we need to do something about that. We need to move in, into some action in that in some different ways. So back to this. Listen, 
When we hear and talk about bondservants and slaves, we have to remember not all of them were in horrific situations, but some of them were. This was not part of God's design or his plan, but it's a result of sin and the fall. And just like divorce isn't part of God's plan for marriage, it's a result of sin. God's plan for marriage is, is a man and a woman in that covenant until death do them part. Like that is God's design for marriage, but we still have because of sin, divorce. And because of that, the Bible addresses that. Same deal with, with uh, slavery. Not part of God's design, but because of sin, we see it. And so God addresses it and talks to people that find themselves in those situations. And that's what we have in our text this morning. So just be careful in our minds when we read slavery that we automatically go to one spot because there's so much to it, guys. There's so many different uh, possibilities when we're reading into that. Now, in 1 Timothy, if you go on down to chapter 6 and verses 1 through 2, it also talks about slavery, and it really coincides in many ways with what we see in our, in our text in Colossians. It says this, it says, All who are under the yoke of slavery should consider their masters worthy of full respect, so that God's name and our teaching may not be slandered. Those who have believing masters should not show them disrespect just because they are fellow believers. Instead, they should serve them even better because their masters are dear to them as fellow believers and are devoted to the welfare of their slaves. So here Paul encourages slaves to honor their unbelieving masters. In fact, in verse 1, that's what he's talking about, unbelieving slaves with unbelieving masters. And in verse 2, he's talking about slaves with believing masters. We see this contrast here. But in verse 1, he says, consider their masters worthy of full respect. He's telling them to respect their masters that have enslaved them, that aren't aren't believers and likely treating them poorly. And the reason he would tell them to do that is based on the fact that we are to look at all people with dignity and respect as in, and made in the image of God. That's why we love our enemies. That's why we serve those who do evil things to us, trusting that God will be the one to enact justice. He'll be the one to take care of the evil in the world. We have a duty to love and to serve. And so, but listen, hear what he says in the text. He says, respect them, but here's the purpose. This is the reason why you're to do that. It says, so that God's name and our teaching may not be slandered. God wants unbelieving masters to be able to look at Christian slaves and be able to see the goodness and the love and the mercy from them so that their lives would be transformed by Christ as well. You see, it's about the advancement of the gospel. He's telling them, as a slave under the authority of someone else, treat them with respect and and work and do and, and live in a certain way so that these masters will repent and give their lives to Jesus and be transformed because only when a heart is truthfully transformed do we see this begin to be eroded and go away. Our world tries to change culture and community with behavior modification and different ways of viewing things. And that's not all bad, but ultimately what will transform communities is when the gospel goes forth and people repent and are transformed from the inside out. And that's what the point of this, hit, of this is here. The early church saw its primary target, not the um, abolishing of slavery, but the evangelism of the world. That was its primary focus. 
And when you see that happen in communities, guys, you will see slavery begin to be eroded and go away. In fact, the seeds that are sown throughout scripture dealing with this topic are what eventually has led to the dismantling of slavery in many places because it's not biblical. And when a heart comes to know Christ, they will never continue to enslave and treat people in such a fashion. I was, I was reminded of how just the gospel transforms communities during the first service. As, as I was speaking, I was thinking of a community in Ecuador. You guys may know of it, but, or have heard the story of a man, a missionary named Jim Elliott, and there were some other men that went with him and to preach the gospel to this tribe that was knowing, or known for spearing to death any outsiders that would come to their village. They made a movie about it called End of the Spear, and there's another one, I think. But, but so they go to take the gospel to these ruthless people, and they, they feel like they've made friends with them, like everything's going to go okay, and they go onto the beach, and they're talking with this tribe, and they are speared to death, every one of them killed. Well, their wives continued to minister to them, and continued to go and reach out to them, and share the gospel with them, and eventually, the same men who speared them to death gave their lives to Christ, and the gospel began to transform that community. Incredible that their wives, number one, continue to go and love those people like that and share the gospel with them. But the cool thing is now, current day, in that community, there's a big population of Christians in that community. And they no longer spear people to death because they understand that that's not the ways of God. And some of the leaders have understood that, that following Christ and his way is the right way to go about life. And so now that community has been transformed. And it wasn't because they went in with the message of don't kill people. It was this is the message of the gospel. This is what Jesus offers to you. And that transformed them and their community. It's the same that we have to do in our world. Proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ because the gospel is the hope for each and every person on this planet and for every city, for every community, every culture, every world. Like Jesus is the hope for transformation. He absolutely is. A lot of people will laugh at that, say it's not enough, but Jesus is everything. And, and the gospel changes everything. It absolutely does. And so here, here's something else, just a little bitty side note before we go on. These believers actually understood that their primary focus and mission was the gospel. And I believe that we as Christians should be involved in, in social issues, social justice issues. Like I think we should. We have an obligation to be involved in those things, making sure that we care for orphans and widows and, and feed the hungry and make sure people have clean water. Like I think we should most definitely be a part of that. But ultimately, the primary focus of our lives is the advancement of the kingdom of God with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That has to always be our primary focus. The clean water, feeding people, caring for orphans, widows, that's incredibly important, but ultimately, it's getting into the lives of people to share the gospel with them through some of those avenues. Even Jesus himself, he said, what good is it for a man to inherit, um, oh, man, I lost my mind, to inherit the whole world and forfeit his soul, right? If you have somebody that's starving to death and you give them some food, that's great. You should do that. But if they die apart from Christ, their eternal destination is bleak at best. Give them some food, but share the gospel with them. Let them know the one who is the bread of life, the living water, right? Because that's ultimately what we all need because our life is more than this. It's absolutely more than all of this. Now, Paul's speaking to slaves in our text, telling them how they are to live, how they are to act. He's speaking to masters 
that are overseers that have slaves in their possession. But there's some, some truths in here that I think can be very applicable to us as we deal with earthly masters as well. And what I mean by that is all of us find ourselves underneath the authority of a people, whether it be in your job uh, or other places. And some of you find yourself in a position of authority over people. And the truth is there's a right and a wrong way to handle those uh, obligations, whether you're under the authority of someone or have authority over people. The Word of God is very clear in how we are to act. And so look at Colossians 3, our main text, at verse 22. It says, Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything and do it not only when their eye is on you and to curry, which is a glorious word, to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. What, in a nutshell, what this is saying is work hard all the time. Work hard all the time. Don't just work hard when people are watching you or when the boss is watching you, but you work hard all the time. When I was young, maybe you can relate, I was in gym class in high school, middle school, whatever it be, and man, some of those gym teachers, I don't know what they thought they were trying to train us for, but I had one that would make us do all these push-ups and stuff every time we had gym class, and I'd be doing those, and as soon as that teacher walked by me, I'd lay on the ground and wait and watch, and when he turned around, I'd just go back to my push-ups like I've been doing them the whole time, you know, like, yeah, that's right, I'm working hard. I wasn't, you know, it was only when he was looking. You guys all, hopefully this isn't you, but you've all worked with people who are just lazy at work. They don't work hard at all. And then the boss starts coming down the hallway and they act like they've been working hard the whole time. And they pick up a pen real quick. And it's like, come on. Hopefully that's not you. But the Bible is clear. Hey, work hard all the time, not just when somebody's watching. That's what this is saying here. And here's the deal. You're doing it with a reverence for the Lord, it says. You're doing it out of reverence for the Lord. In verse 23, it goes on, it says, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Paul says here, no matter what you do, guys, you've got to give it your all. You've got to give it your all and be dedicated in it because you're ultimately working for God and not a person. Because everything that we do in our life is about God and his glory and so you work for the Lord, it says. There's this spiritual component here. And understand, you represent God wherever you are and in everything that you do and how you do it. And when we understand that, like that our work is for the Lord first and foremost, it transforms how we see our work and our jobs and our day-to-day -day tasks. So many people tell me all the time, they say, well, my job's just not that important. Like, I don't do anything that, you know, people really need me. Or, like, they just feel almost inadequate or like God's not using them in their line of work. Maybe they mow lawns. Maybe they do, I mean, you name it. But people have told me all the time, well, I just really don't have a ministry. All I do is this for my job. But when, you, when you're thinking like that, you're missing it. Because your ministry, God's ministry for your life is everywhere you are all the time. You're working for God if you're mowing the grass, if you're raising kids at home as a stay-at-home. Like everything we do, we're to work at with all of our heart because ultimately we're glorifying God through that and we're trying to help people see Christ through all those things that we do. It has the ability to completely transform what you would see as the most mundane and unimportant job because you realize God wants to use you through that for people to see and understand the gospel. 
And here's the thing. When you're working for the Lord and you're working with all your heart, like it's saying here, people are going to notice because that's not normal. What's normal is to slack off, do the, the, whatever is the uh, most minimal amount of work you can to be able to get by and to make you know, your quotas or whatever it is you have to do. And so when you're working hard for the Lord, it should be different and look different. But here's the thing. You'll also face persecution in it, I promise you. Because your coworkers, people you work with, are going to call you a brown noser, saying you're just trying to suck up to the boss all the time. And, and other people that want to be lazy hate when people they work with work hard because then it forces them to work hard so they don't look bad. So you're going to face some backlash for it. But you know what? You're not working for the praise of any man. You're working for the Lord in all that you do. Do not forget that all of your jobs, wherever you are, whatever you do, are important because you're an ambassador of Christ. You have the ministry of reconciliation and you're working for God. So do not forget that. I'll never forget one time I met a guy, and I can't remember for the life of me where I met this dude, but I'll never forget it. I asked him his name. We exchanged names. And then that second follow-up question you always ask, well, what do you do, right? And I hate that question because our identity in this culture is in what we do, not who we are or whose we are, all right? Our identity is in Christ, not your, your identity is in Christ. It's not in what you do. That is not who you are. You're a child of God. Never forget that, okay? But I asked this guy, I said, well, what do you do? He said, I work for God. And I said, dang, okay, that's awesome. I said, well, what do you do? And he's like, I'm a plumber. I was like, that's awesome. But he got it. He understood. He's like, I first and foremost, I work for God I happen to work for God as a plumber. That's my ministry. And I'm doing everything I can to glorify him that, in that and to share the gospel with people. And that's how we all have to look at our work because it's the truth. That's what we're to do. Even slaves here, don't misunderstand what Paul's saying. He's like, listen, you have a ministry as a slave in some horrible circumstances to be able to win people to Christ, these masters. You might have a boss who is horrific to you and treats you like trash. Well, guess what? You treat them with respect still and you do your best to honor God in that because God wants to use you for them to see what a follower of Christ looks like and hopefully eventually they will repent of their sin and come to know Christ. That's our primary focus and our purpose, no matter what you're doing. And I understand this is tough. I had a job in college at his factory, and my whole job a lot of days was to count eight bolts, count eight bolts, put them in a bag, seal it, and put it in a box. All day. You want to talk about something make your brain go numb, and you feel like, what is the purpose in this God, right? Like, I am counting eight bolts, putting them in a bag, and putting them in a box all day. But... You work hard for the Lord. I understand it can be difficult. And God used that job. This is great for all these different reasons. But I understand it can be tough. It can be tough. Okay, let's look at verse 24 and 25. It says, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for their wrongs, and there is no favoritism. You know, this is a great comfort to the slaves at this time, but it is to all of us also. We live and work for the Lord, and there is an inheritance and a reward for that. In Roman law, it stated that a slave had zero inheritance. And so as they're serving the Lord and working in these ways, a lot of them are like, what's this for in the end? Well, this is so comforting to them knowing, listen, do not worry because there is inheritance. There is a reward coming for you that's far greater than anything this world could offer you as an inheritance. Because think about it, as a follower of Christ, we don't store up for ourselves treasures here on earth. We store up for ourselves treasures which are in heaven that cannot be destroyed. 
There is an inheritance, there's a reward for those who follow Christ and it's such an encouragement to them here in this time as well. I hear all the time from people, and in fact, I think if you look at most surveys, one of the biggest complaints of employees is that they feel unappreciated and unvalued. But understand this, guys, work for the Lord because he appreciates you and he values you and he is gonna give you a reward for that hard work that is far greater than any promotion or reward that your job can give you, I promise you. You work hard with all your heart for the Lord. And it's also, we see here that in verse 25, God doesn't turn a blind eye. He doesn't turn a blind eye to any wrongdoing. He will take care of that, and he doesn't show favoritism. So when you're mistreated and, and all these different things, remember, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I will repay. That's not our place. Trust God in that. When you're treated poorly, don't you be the one to enact justice. Trust that God's punishment, his wrath, his justice, all that is far better and greater than anything you could ever enact on your own. Trust him in that. Now, if you look at chapter 4, verse 1, that one verse, it says, Master's, Provide your slaves with what is right and fair because you know also, I'm sorry, because you know that you also have a master in heaven. God says, if you're a boss, if you're in a position of authority, if you're a supervisor of people, understand this, guys. There is a right and a wrong way to treat people. You treat them right and fairly, it says here. The reason that Paul is telling slaves to respect their bosses, their masters, is so that hopefully they would repent and come to know Christ. The reason that it's important for a master or an overseer to treat those underneath you in a way that is right and fair is because it's all about the gospel again. If you find yourself, if you're sitting here this morning and you have any authority supervising over people in any capacity, understand you have a God-given responsibility to treat the people under you rightly and fairly with respect. So what that means is you speak well to them. You pay them in a way that is fair. You do them right with the hours that they work. You are gracious to them when they make mistakes because they're going to. And ultimately, you treat them like this because you're working for God, don't forget. And ultimately, you want them to experience the love of Christ through you and your leadership of them. Everything comes back to the same thing, ultimately, always, guys. It's God and his glory. And it's people coming to know him, which is the ultimate need that everyone has. And he says, remember, you also have a master. All of us serve the same master. He's the ultimate authority over all of us. One of the other cool things, and we'll wrap up here, is and Paul says in Philippians 2, and I like this, this won't be on the screen, but it, but it says this. It says, Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Jesus himself, if there's any person on this planet that could have been served, It would have been him and it would have been just fine. But the word of God says that Jesus came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He is our example that our life is not about us, but it's about serving God and serving others. I love that Paul also, when he writes many of his letters, he introduces himself at the beginning. 
And a lot of times he'll say things like he does in Romans where he says, I, Paul, a servant or a slave of Christ Jesus, our Lord. He understood that he used to be, just like all of us, a slave to sin. But now we are a slave to righteousness. And we are a slave, a servant of God. And it is good. It is good to be under the authority of God and his leadership for our lives. I promise you. He is a good God. He is faithful. And that's the best place we could absolutely be. And hopefully you see yourself in the same way. I love Paul, a servant of Christ. Insert your name in there. That's how we should look at ourselves. Three questions this morning. Number one, do you see all people as equal? Do you see all people as equal, made in the image of God with intrinsic value and worth? Because if you don't, that is sin, and it is wrong. It doesn't matter somebody's color, their creed, where they've come from, if they think like you, look like you, act like you, believe like you, it does not matter. They are made in the image of God and should be treated appropriately and accordingly. And also, do not forget this. The same reason we're against slavery is the same reason we're against abortion, because it it devalues human life. Second question, do you work for the Lord? Do you work for the Lord? Is your primary focus as you're at work every day this this understanding, I work for the Lord, like that plumber guy I met. He worked for God as a plumber. You work for God as a whatever. You work for God as a student, whatever it might be, but understand the primary reason you are where you are is to be a missionary for the Lord. That's your primary task. And then last question, how can you grow in your work and or leadership? As you think about this, How can you better serve the Lord through your working? How can you better serve the Lord and others through your leadership and the authority that God's given you over people so that people would come to know the Lord? Never forget, ultimately, God is our master and over everything. And my prayer for myself and all of this and my prayer for you guys too is that we would serve the Lord in a way that really honors him and glorifies him because one day we all want to hear the same thing at the end. We all want to stand before God and hear those words, well done, right? Good and faithful servant. That's what I want to hear from the Lord. We'll all stand before him and give an account and that's ultimately what we want. So if you guys would do me a favor, if you're able, will you stand and we're going to pray to finish our time? Father, Lord, um, thank you for your mercy, your grace, that you've given us breath in our lungs today. Lord, I pray that we would see people how you desire for us to see them as equal. In fact, your word tells us that we're to consider others more significant than ourselves. We're not to think badly of ourselves, but we're just to think about others above and beyond ourselves. So I pray that we would do that, that we would never see people for where they come from or the color of their skin or what they say and believe. Father, we would understand that all are created in the image of God and have value and worth and that we would treat people accordingly because of that, Father. That we would just love people well. And Father, I pray 
I pray in the name of Jesus against all the human trafficking and slavery and just horrific things that people are experiencing around the world. I pray that that you would just abolish that some way, somehow, Father, that you would free people from those chains, Father, that, that, that you would, just the people that are doing those things would, would repent and turn and be transformed, Father, and that we would see just great, I'm just saying, just massive reduction in that, Father, Lord. And Lord, help us to remember, too, that we were once slaves to sin, but you've set us free from that. Thank you, Lord, for that. I pray that we would be faithful servants of you. Lord, help us to work as your ambassadors, ministers of the gospel everywhere we go. Lord, help us to work wholeheartedly for that. Help us to remember that we're working for you ultimately in all we do. And we represent you. And Lord, for those that are here that are in authority over other people, I pray that that they would treat those under their authority rightly and fairly in a way that also brings you glory. Lord, I pray for revival. Lord, I pray that we would see just a great harvest of souls because of how we work and live and love people everywhere we go all the time. Lord, help us just to worship you with our lives. We love you, Jesus, and ask this in your name. Amen. Amen.